have a passionate worshiper here in the front rows. Um, may he not outclass us in our worship this evening, but may he inspire us. Um, good evening, everyone. Uh, also from my side, those of you who are visiting us, my name is Jonathan. It's great for me uh, to be able to share uh, the message this evening with us as we are busy with a series called Set Apart. If you've been coming for the last couple of weeks, you would know that as an every nation movement across the world, in the beginning of the year, we, we unite around a certain theme, and this year's theme is set apart. And it's all about a biblical view of holiness. We started this year by looking at um, God is holy. In His essence, God is holy, which makes Him different than anything and everyone else. And then we looked at how we've lost something that God has naturally given us. How we've lost holiness because of sin. In the last two weeks, we, we looked at how did God restore and reveal holiness to us. An invitation to experience not just His holiness, but a restoration of His holiness in our lives. And tonight, we're going to continue with this series, and we're going to, you're going to be a little bit of a shift in terms of the outcome of our series. Up until this moment, we've been learning about the holiness of God, but tonight, it's all about our response to the holiness of God. How do we live holy lives? Because ultimately, if God is holy, we should live holy lives. So the question we have, what, what does it mean to live holy? What does it mean to live holy? For some people, holiness or holy living means perfection. means that you have to live perfectly, that you cannot make any mistakes. Holiness is perfect living. For some people, holiness is performance. The more you do for God, the holier you are. And your understanding of holiness is directly linked to your spiritual performance. Or your religious performance. For some people, holy living is all about comparison. Now we compare ourselves with other people and we just make sure we live a little bit different and better than them. If we're just slightly better, then our lives are holy. Comparison. For some people, holy living means monastic living, meaning you have to become a monk or a nun. You have to give up all pleasures, earthly pleasures and desires, and live secluded apart from the world. Then you can live holy. What does it mean for you to live holy? If someone were to ask you tonight, as Christians, you are called to live holy, what does it mean? What would you answer them? What does holy living mean for you? See, 1 Peter 1 verse 15 to 16 says, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy, holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. God is holy, and His holiness demands a response from His people. God is holy, therefore His people must live holy lives. God is set apart 
He's different. There's nothing and no one like Him. Therefore, the church, His people, should be set apart. Our lives should look different. I want to suggest tonight that if we neglect holy living, we are embracing a paradoxical Christianity. If we neglect to live different than the world, then we're embracing something that doesn't make sense. It's a, it's a paradox. It's contrasting each other. We cannot say we, we serve and know this awesome, creator, loving, almighty, holy God, and yet our lives do not look different. It's a paradox. It doesn't make sense. We cannot say that my life has completely changed because of this holy God, and yet I have no desire that other people might know Him. We cannot say that He is worthy above everything else, and yet we live for ourselves. It's a paradoxical Christianity. If we neglect holy living, our faith doesn't make sense. And unfortunately, this is something that has happened throughout the church age, where people have said one thing and lived in a different way. I believe holy living as a response to God is in essence what the church should do. We are called to be set apart, to look, look different. And tonight we're going to look at a specific scripture to give us insight as to how do we live differently? What does it mean to live holy lives? So if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians uh, 1, chapter 1. We're going to read from the letter of the, the Apostle Paul to the church in Collins, Colossians. Um, we're going to read from chapter 1 as you're finding that in your Bible. I'm just going to give you a little bit of, of background as to what is happening in this church. It's a really fascinating letter. I want to encourage you to go and read the whole letter to this church in Colossians. But someone came to Paul and explained to him what is happening in this church. And Paul's letter to this church is a response to the report that he got about this church. Great church. But there's this Christian teachers that have started to teach heresy amongst this church. They've started to weave in certain doctrines into what this church is doing and believing. They mixed the philosophies of that culture and the mysticism of that culture with Christianity. All the cultural beliefs they started to weave into the worship of this church. The popular philosophies of the day they started to pronounce and make part of the church. What's more, they started to teach this church that they should go back to some of their Jewish roots and start to embrace some of the Jewish rituals and laws um, as part of their worship unto God. So they're actually advocating circumcision for the men. They're advocating that they should keep holy days and holy feasts and that they should abstain from eating certain um, food. So they're mixing this modern-day philosophy with the mysticism of the age. 
together with the Jewish rituals and laws. And then they also believed that there was the supernatural intermediate powers that acted on our, our behalf. And that not only we should acknowledge these powers, but we should also worship them. In a certain sense, almost like ancestralism. There's a mediator, a mediating power between us and God. So you can imagine what is happening in this church. The amount of doctrine that's being taught. The popular opinion together with the mysticism. The religious, religious rules. And in the mix of all of this, the gospel gets lost. That's the report that the Apostle Paul gets. And when we lose the gospel, we lose sight of the supremacy of Jesus. And Paul is writing to this church, calling them. He's not just correcting the heresy. He's calling them back to the simple yet powerful message of the gospel. And one of the major themes throughout Paul's teaching to this church is God first. Not just God, but Jesus. The preeminence of Jesus. All of what we do is because of Him. All of it is for Him. It's Jesus. And this is what Paul's appeal is to this church. Go back to the gospel, putting Christ first, above everything else. He's not part of what you do. You don't have to do certain religious things to, to experience God. It's because of Christ. And he calls them back. I mean, that's where we're going to read from. So before we do this, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as you inspired Paul to write this letter to this church, that you still inspire your word today to speak to our hearts. And therefore, Holy Spirit, we ask in this moment that you would come and make your word alive and active in us that you would come and address the areas of our lives that you want to, to deal with this evening. And Lord, if we, as we submit ourselves unto your authority of, the, of your word, and we submit to the working of your spirit, I pray that you would lead us in your truth. I pray that you would protect us in this moment against any false doctrine and false teachings and ideas and lies. But you will lead us in such a way that we'll experience you through your word, through your spirit, and through your truth. Lord, thank you that we can in faith know that as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. May you come and speak, us, speak to us in this moment. For your name's sake and your kingdom. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Now, don't let him upstage you. I want to hear some couple of amens. Eh? Come on. Okay. Uh, so we're going to read together two scriptures, um, two verses, verse 9 and 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge 
of God. Now, in a sense, the New Testament is constantly teaching us how to practically live holy lives. In a sense, the, holy Test- the New Testament is constantly learning and, 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 and giving us insights of what it means to be the children of God, what it means to be the people of God. How do we live holy lives? But if we had to summarize what does it mean to live a holy life, I would suggest it's this. What does it mean to live a holy life? It is to live a life worthy of the Lord. If you had to give a really reduced down simple answer to what does it mean to live holy, it's to live a life worthy of the Lord. But I'm sure all of us would agree, this sounds great. But it's not something that happens naturally. If you've been following God for a while, I'm sure you would agree, that's my desire, that I would live a life worthy of God. But it's not that easy. It's easier said than done. And this brings us to the ultimate question this evening. What needs to change in order for us to live a life worthy of God? If we want to live in a response to God's holiness, what needs to change in us in order that we can live a life that's worthy of God? Paul goes on. In verse 20, he says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, we need to understand there's only two ways of living. There's not a third option. Either we live in a way that glorifies God, that honors Him, that's worthy unto His name, or we live in a way that is against God. There isn't a, a third option. There isn't a middle way where we are impartial. Either we're in line with God's will, and part of His will is His establishment of His kingdom in and through our lives, or we live in a way that opposes the will of God. I don't know about you, but I've never thought of myself as an enemy of God. I've never woken up with the idea that today I'm going to oppose God. But there's a way of living that is directly against the kingdom of God. And either we live a life worthy of the Lord, or we live a life alienated from God in opposition to His will. There's a way of living that is not worthy of the Lord. There's a way of living that brings separation between us and God. Sin alienates us from God. When you have no time for God, when you're just too busy, when there's too many other things that's more important than God, it brings alienation 
separation from God. Feels as if God is distant. There's a way of living that does not honor God. Our actions and conduct can go against the kingdom of God. And this makes us enemies of God. It's when our actions and conduct might keep others from experiencing God. It's when our actions and our conduct might resist the establishment of God's kingdom. When we live in such a way, we act as enemies of God. When your behavior keeps others from experiencing God, inadvertently you might resist God. Acting like an enemy. See, when our actions and our words and our conduct does not look different than that of the world, we need to ask ourselves, is my life reflecting something of God or something of the world? If my life looks the same than everyone else, am I really living for God? James 4 verse 4 says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity, hostility against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, for clarity, this scripture is not saying you may not have friends that are not Christians. That's not what the scripture is saying. What the scripture is saying, when you've become familiar with the ways of the world, and this has become normal for you, you're acting as an enemy of God. Scripture says, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds. It's not just in our behavior that we can oppose God. It's also in our minds, in our thinking. There's a way of thinking that's not worthy of the Lord. A way of thinking that can make us feel alienated from God. Makes us feel far from God. When in our thinking, we're constantly doubting God's character and His nature. Does God care? Will God come through? Does God care about me? Is God good? Maybe I'm not good enough for God. There's a way of thinking that can bring alienation from God. If our thoughts are self-centered and self-seeking, it opposes the will of God. And everything I think about is about me. It's in opposition to God's will. If our decisions are made independently, apart from God, we only do what we feel and think is right without seeking God. It's a way of thinking that, does not, that is not worthy of God. It's a way of thinking that opposes the will of God. When there's no room for God in our minds... Might it be that we're more living like the world in opposition to God than actually for God? When our lives are all about us, then we might be living as enemies of God. So this evening, if you reflect over your actions, conduct, and your thoughts... If you were to ask the, answer the question, just thinking of the way that you're speaking, thinking of the way that you're living, is your way of living worthy of the Lord?
is your way of living worthy of God? If you're, if you, is your way of speaking about others worthy of God? Is the way you're speaking about our nation, about other people, about cultures, about friendships, about leaders, is it worthy of God? How about the way you're spending your money? Are you spending your money different than the world is spending their money? Or does it look the same? And I know some of you are students, you're sitting here and you're thinking, man, I only have so much. But if you struggle to spend your money in a godly manner when you have little, you'll definitely struggle when you have much, much more. And what are you spending your money? Is it worthy of the Lord? Does it look different than what the world is spending their money on? Is what you watch late at night worthy of the Lord? That what you do in secret that no one else will know, is that worthy of the Lord? your sexual conduct worthy of the Lord. Instead of us just going, hey, do you life, live a life worthy of the Lord? We need to live holy lives. Let at least delve into the very practical side of living a life worthy of the Lord. When no one sees you, it's the way that you conduct yourself worthy of the Lord. Your sexual conduct, holy, worthy of the Lord. Is, your, is the way that you spend your time worthy of God? Is your online scrolling worthy of God? A desire to be known and be famous online, to post your life, to pretend that everything is great and you never go through bad things. Or you just post bad things and hope that people will feel sorry for you. Whatever your motive might be. Makes me think I should have taken a photo and posted it on all, so that all 35 of my Instagram followers can. <laughs> the way you interact online the things that you engage with, the, the reasons why you are online. That's what you're seeking from just starting trying to get this fame. Is it worthy of Jesus? I'm not saying you shouldn't be on, on social media. I think it's one of the platforms that we have to reach people with. But is the time you're spending on it worthy God, is it influencing your minds in such a way that your thinking is worthy of God? How about Friday night? 
social settings, the bride you're invited to. Is your conduct different than that of the world? Or are you just another one at the social? Is the way that you deal with alcohol different than the way of the world? Is your life worthy of the Lord? Is the way you're living your life worthy of Jesus? And I'm sure as we ask these questions of ourselves tonight, that all of us would agree there's certain areas of our lives that does not honor Jesus, that is not holy and not worthy of Him. All of us have certain areas of our lives that opposes the will of God, that separates us from Him, that makes us feel alienated, far from God. Areas of our lives that acts in opposition to God's will for our lives. Area of our lives where we live as enemies of the kingdom of God. Embracing certain things of this world above the will of God. There's a way of living that's against God and a way of thinking that opposes God. Verse 21. But now, if ever there's powerful words in the Bible, it's the words, but God. But God. But now, He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight without blemish and free from accusation. But God. Even though our thoughts and our actions might oppose God, God chooses to reconcile us with Him. There's a scripture that says, while we were still sinners, we might say, while we were still enemies of God, He chose to save us. He chose to reconcile us. Even though our thoughts and our actions opposes Him and separates us from Him, He chose to reconcile us through Jesus, through the cross. See, this word used here for reconciliation means to be changed from one condition to another. That's what happened at the cross. God reconciles us with Him. He changes our condition as enemies of God to children of God. He's the one that changes us. There's this exchange that takes place through the cross. On the cross, we see how Jesus experienced alienation and separation from God in order that we might be brought close to God in relationship with Him. It's a great exchange. Jesus being separated from the love of the Father so that we may experience Him. This great exchange where Jesus takes the penalty of sin upon himself. He takes the punishment 
that the enemies of God deserves. Second Corinthians 5 says, He became sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. Changes our condition. And here on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment that's deserving of the enemies of God. And in return, we receive His righteousness. And we may experience God's blessing, His grace and His presence, His joy, His peace and His hope. We don't have to fear punishment of sin because there's been this great exchange. And the cross changes our condition. And because of what Jesus has done, not because of the way that we're living, but because of what Jesus has done, we receive a new status. Paul writes to this church and he says, now when God looks at you, because of what Jesus has done, God sees Christ, sees the price that was paid, and God declares you as holy in His sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. When God looks at us because of Jesus, He says, you are holy and forgiven. This is our status. This is what God sees when He looks at you now. Holy and forgiven. See, our holiness is not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has already done. Before anything that you can do for God, God views you as holy. Before anything that you can offer and bring and do for God, because of Jesus, He already goes. You're holy and forgiven. That's who you are. And you are not defined by what you do. You are defined by what I've already done. Holy and forgiven. If. Important condition. But God, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the condition. You are holy and forgiven if you continue in your faith. There's a condition. We must continue in our faith. See, the gospel message is not just a once-off decision, a once-off response to Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so often this has been taught in church that you just have to give your life to Jesus. The message of the gospel is there's a continual holding on to the message and the hope of the gospel. It's not just a once-off decision. It's every day I'm choosing to believe. Every day I'm placing my faith in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Every day I'm choosing to believe and trust 
that what He has done on the cross is enough. Every day, I hold on to the hope in the gospel. The hope that what God has said about me is true and that He will come and change me in such a way that my life will reflect that what God has already told and said about me. I hold on to the hope of the gospel. It's a continued decision to live in response to the gospel. Every day I choose to make Jesus my Lord and Savior. Trust the finished work of Christ. Growing up, I grew up in an environment where I really struggled to feel uh, accepted. No matter what I did, I always felt it wasn't good enough. And I started to believe a lie that the better I perform, the more I'm accepted and approved of. So I not only, I promise it's true. Uh, this became such a big part of my life that that became my normal way of living. And regardless of what I did, I always to try, I always tried to do it absolutely to my best. Not because it was a good character trait, but it was because of the hope that I will be approved and accepted in my performance. I did everything right with the wrong motives. I tried to be the best in order that others would like me. But regardless of how much I tried, I never really felt accepted and loved. Um, in a sense, I never felt good enough. No matter what I did and the way I acted, it just seemed to fall short. And then I came to faith in, uh, while, while I was a student, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and and I carried this lie of that you are only accepted based on your performance into my relationship with God. And no matter how much I tried to please God, I never felt good enough for His love. I went into this spiritual performance where you just try and do more and more and more for God. And whenever I sinned, I tried to rectify that sin by doing more. Deep inside my soul, there was this lie that God loves me based on what I do for Him. And I just tried to perform and perform and perform up into a place where I couldn't perform anymore. And I felt so as an absolute um, failure because I was just not good enough. And I didn't feel good enough for God. And when I sinned, I know some of you believe pastors don't sin, but my wife's here, she can tell you. But when I sinned, I felt a deep sense of rejection. I 
felt rejected because I believe that God rejects me based on my performance. And that God was displeased with me based on what I did. So I found it much easier to believe that God was willing to forgive my sins, but I found it really difficult to believe that I'm worthy of His righteousness. And I tried to earn God's righteousness. And it was only when I really started to believe that what Jesus has done was enough that I started to see a change in my own soul. Through a lot of prayers and discipleship and time in God's word, I come to, came to the conviction of that what we're teaching tonight. That nothing that I can do or don't do can change how God views me. And there's nothing that I can add to what Jesus has done on the cross. In fact, trying to add to what Jesus has done on the cross is insulting and is against the will of God. Once I was willing to accept that there's nothing that I can do to separate me from the love of God, and I'm fully accepted based on what Jesus done, something changed in my soul. Suddenly I, I experienced God's grace and joy like I've never did before that. Because now I wasn't trying to win God's approval. I was able just to experience His approval. That what God has all, always wanted to give me, I rejected by not believing I'm enough. And it completely changed my life. Completely changed my relationship with God. And it changed the motive behind everything that I did. Because now I'm not trying to win the approval of God. I'm simply just trying to live the way that God has called me to. How do we live holy lives? How do we live a life worthy of God? It starts by believing what God says about us. Holy living starts by believing what God says we are. If you really believe that God has made you holy, then this is your starting position. It's not the finish line. That what God says about you is first and foremost the foundation and truth that you enter into every situation and decision. You don't make decisions to act holy. You don't do things to become holy. You enter that situation. You enter that social environment you, as holy. That conversation that's honoring, dishonoring, you enter it as holy. This is your foundation the starting position, you are not defined by what you do. You are defined by what Christ has already done. If you choose to believe and embrace the gospel. Any position, any situation, any decision starts with you are holy. 
See, holy living is not about following a list of do's and don'ts in order to become holy. Rather, there are certain things that we do not do and we avoid because we are holy. The motive behind our actions change. And because we are already holy, we live in a way that is worthy of the Lord. We hold on to the belief that what God has done is enough, and I am holy. That's the beauty of justification. When Jesus died on the cross, it was enough, and I am justified just as if you've never sinned. Holy and forgiven. But God loves you too much to leave you with that sinful habits in our lives. God has a purpose and a plan of our lives. He wants us not just to be holy, but He wants us to live holy. And therefore, there's a process of sanctification. When we start to believe, I am holy, and I enter this situation as holy, chosen, loved, approved, forgiven by God, then I don't try to win God's approval. I ask God, would you come and change my conduct in such a way that the way that I live reflected that what you already say I am. And God sanctifies us. But holiness starts by believing what God says about you. That you are holy. And because you are holy, our motive changed and therefore we speak differently. We speak as the people of God. Because you are holy, you treat people differently. And when you struggle to do that, you ask God, God, would you come and shape me to help me treat others differently? Because you are holy, we spend our money differently. Because we are holy, we manage our time differently. Because we are holy, I conduct myself differently around other people in order that they may experience something about God and His kingdom. I don't have to perform in a social environment. I don't have to win people's approval. You're already approved by God. Fully accepted and loved. What are you trying to get from people that God is willing to give to you? I act differently amongst people because I'm holy. Because I'm holy, I do not engage in pornography. I'm not captured by the power that this thing has over my life because I believe I'm already forgiven without blemish and holy. And I say, God, would you come and help me? Help me overcome this. Because I believe I'm holy. I submit to, your, to you as my Lord and Savior. Because I'm holy. I don't waste my life on meaningless things of this world. But I live with a purpose. And I live with intentionality. And in such a way, by the grace of God, our conduct is being changed to reflect that what God already say we are. I enter 
as holy. And I trust that God would change the way that I live, that it will reflect his holiness. So to conclude this evening, what does it mean to live holy? It's to live a life worthy of the Lord by believing that we are already made holy by what Jesus has done. It's as simple as that. How do you live a holy life? You live out of response to that what Jesus has done, holding on to the belief that we are made holy because of Him. And because we are holy, we can live lives that is set apart, that looks different than this world. Let's close our eyes. As we conclude tonight, there's certain questions that I want us to just think over. If you think about your life, are you living a way that is worthy to God? Or might you be living alienated and hostile towards God? Would you take a moment and reflect on what it means for you when you hear the words that God views you as holy? Would you even dare ask God to show you what He views you, how He views you as holy? What does it mean for you when God views you as holy? Can you for a moment imagine how your life might change if you really believe that God has made you holy? Just for a moment, start to imagine what could change in your life if you started believing that what God is saying over you.
Lord Jesus, we thank you in this moment that what you've done is enough. Thank you that you were willing to be separated, alienated from our Father. That you were willing to take the punishment of sin in order to reconcile us to God. We thank you in this moment that because of what you've done, there's a new status for all of us. Thank you that we can live with the confidence knowing that because of you, we are seen as holy and forgiven. Father, I pray that you would send your spirit and that through your spirit you would help us to believe your truth over our lives. Lord, would you come and further reveal what it means when, when you say we are holy. But Lord, we don't just want to grow in the knowledge of your will, but we pray that you would come and change us by your spirit. That as we enter this world, as we enter into relationships and into situations and decisions, Lord, that we'll do it from a stance and a position of we are called to live holy lives because we are holy. And Lord, I pray this evening that not just would you help us to believe that what you've done is enough and true for our lives, but Lord, but would you also come and change our words, change our language and our conduct, that it starts to reflect the holiness that you've already declared over our lives. God, you are worthy. You are worthy to receive so much more. And therefore we ask, Lord, would you help us believe? Would you come and change us in order that we may live lives that is worthy unto you? We pray this in your wonderful name, Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we're going to end off this evening by singing. Singing a declaration of one of the songs that we sang earlier, that I will build my life on the gospel truth that what Jesus has done is enough. So let's stand, let's declare this out of worship over our lives.
snow 